0: Good morning. Our sermon text is from the Gospel of Luke, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 13. Listen, this is the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within. Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for his egg, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us not just a model, not, but not just a blueprint, but you teach us a lot about prayer so that we could come to you boldly, that we could commune with you on our knees, that we could go before you with supplications, petitions, and know that our prayers are heard because of what you have sent your son to do. Lord, I pray that you will just align my human word to your divine word. And if I should say anything that is not from you, I pray that you will just silence my mouth or close the ears of those who are listening, that you will be glorified and we will know you in new ways through this text. And we pray these things in your most precious name. Amen. So several years ago, I was working at a church, um, and a friend and I noticed that there was this one person in the congregation who was just a rock star at evangelism he was always talking to people about christ and inviting new people to their small groups and just it seemed like wherever this guy went he left this wake of converts behind him so me and my friend finally got enough, enough courage to go talk to him and talk to him about evangelism um so we had breakfast with him um, and we were like what's your secret how do you do this how are you so effective and he just kind of looked puzzled And said, "Uh, I don't really know anything about evangelism, but I've heard of these four spiritual laws. And the conversation kind of started off slow and trailed off from there. It was probably one of the most disappointing conversations that me and my friend had about evangelism. And what happens to these disciples here is kind of the same thing. They kind of get disappointed by Jesus' response. They go to him, but what Jesus gives them is what they needed to hear. So what we see today in this passage, in this text, is three things. We see the prayer, we see the parable, and then we see the promise. And all of these things are shaping for us 2,000 years later and should inform our own prayer life and how we know that God listens to our prayers. And it is interesting that when we look at prayer, Luke's gospel is probably the most dominant gospel concerning prayer. All throughout Luke's gospel, he has this heavy emphasis on prayer. During the birth of Jesus, there is Mary's prayer. There is Zechariah's prayer. There is Simeon's prayer. There is the angels giving praise. And then you see Jesus staying up all night in Luke 6 before he decides to choose the disciples. And then you see Jesus later on actually praying from the cross during his passion. But what's interesting is that when you finally see Jesus praying, pray it's kind of a disappointment when his disciples go to him and are asking him lord teach us to pray he gives them even an abbreviated version of the lord's prayer that he taught in matthew 6 they were probably expecting something deeper they were probably wanting that really good just special seminar that the disciples would get this extra special insight into but he gives them what he has already given them, but a simpler version. And it's almost insultingly brief. I mean, it's over before it begins. It's something like 22 words. But this is what they needed to hear. They needed to know about the nature of prayer and know that there's no special silver bullet of prayer. The first thing that Jesus tells us about prayer is that it is absolutely personal. We go to God and address Him as Father. The God of the universe, the Creator God, the Redeemer God, the Sustaining God. We address as Father. And Jesus does this to keep us, preventing us from depersonalizing God, depersonalizing our prayers. That we are not just praying to a force, an idea a doctrine, we are praying to a person. We are praying to God the Father. And I think that's helpful to know because though God is a Father, there are doctrines associated with them. He is a force. He sustains everything. He created everything. But it's not those abstract things that inform our idea of Father, but it's this idea of Father that inform those doctrines and ideas. We know that God sustains this world as a loving father. When we think of doctrines, we know that God does providence or election as a father would, in compassion and in love. It is a deeply personal prayer because God is a deeply personal father. But when we pray, it's not just thinking supernatural it establishes us. It helps us see ourselves in a personal way and this world that we are in. The Lord's Prayer does not allow us to lose touch with humanity, but rather it establishes it. And in this prayer, we see the pains at which Jesus goes to connect prayer to our current reality. And because it's so connected to our, this current reality that we're in, it is one of the most helpful means of cultivating spirituality. A helpful means of cultivating a relationship with God. A helpful means of just understanding this relationship and how it grows and develops. Think about other relationships in your life. Spouse, friend. It's always through conversation, getting to know someone, spending time with them, that that relationship grows and you become more intimate with them and get to know them. And it's no different than with prayer. So what we see here is Jesus talking about prayer in such a simple way. I think it dispels a lot of our misconceptions about how vibrant, deep spirituality needs to look. I know that for a long time in my life, I felt like, oh, I needed to be more educated if I wanted to pray and have a deeper relationship with God. Oh, I needed so much more time. Oh, I needed to just get away from life. And what God gives us here in the Lord's Prayer is just a very simple means that cultivates a very deep spirituality. And I think that's one of the things that makes the Lord's Prayer so profound here is how simple it is, how almost mundane it is, and how it is applicable to our daily lives. And we had recently studied the Lord's Prayer at our church, and one of the women in a discussion group made a point that I thought was just absolutely astute. She said, every single one of these petitions in the Lord's Prayer is for our daily needs. Usually we just tend to think of it in terms of give us our daily bread. But every petition within here is what we need daily. We need bread every day as much as we need forgiveness. And need to extend forgiveness to others. Every day we need to honor God for who he is. And we do that in how we're called to live. How we work. How we engage with others. God is glorified in that. And our focus and attention needs to be on him. That when we look around this beautiful but broken world. We long for the transformation of it that it would be transformed into the kingdom because it would be recognizing the king of the kingdom and that daily we would overcome temptation. And Jesus brings all these things together in this very simple prayer, things that are at the forefront of our mind, daily bread, to things that we may not see, forgiveness or the kingdom of God. And what this does is it just recalibrates us It allows us to really live in light of the work of Christ, in light of the gospel. And what Jesus does next is he doesn't just give us a prayer, but he gives us a parable. Let's look at this parable, verses 5 through 8. And he, Jesus, said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give his friend anything because because he is his friend. Yet, because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Why would Jesus give us a parable? And it's interesting. He's given us a parable that is longer than the actual prayer itself. Well, just as the prayer is connected with everyday life, he gives us a story that would be very similar to what we would hear in everyday life or experience in everyday life. He wants us to know deeper that the nature of this prayer is for everyday life, that this abstract idea of praying is just as real as a weird encounter with a neighbor at night or with a friend. So he puts this prayer in the context of what is ordinary and gives this story, this tale of two friends, this one friend who needs bread and this other friend who's in bed. And think about what this would have looked like. We kind of go through these experiences nowadays, though it's not our immediate neighbor. We always get text messages or cell phone calls or weird nights of the hour, occasionally we do. And there's always something that's almost begrudging about it, that it feels like they're taking something of us. And it's interesting how women go about this than men. Women, if they need something at night, will go to probably their closest friend. Men who need something at night will go from the friend who most likely owes them something. Um, But here we see him going to the neighbor. And look at the titles, all these people are friends and just because they're friends doesn't mean that there aren't issues. There are friends, and these issues happen. And what he does is he says, "I'm in bed, the kids are in bed. I do not want to get up. And if anyone has small children and know when they sleep, you know you let them sleep." I'm pretty sure that most of the scary parts of the Bible are prophecies about what happens when little kids don't take their naps or they're woken up in the middle of the night, and they know that this is what's happening. It's like, the kids are in bed, the apocalypse will be inaugurated if I get up and these kids are waking up. Can we please just not do this? But he persists. He gets up, and he helps. Now think about this persistence, the imprudence of this person in verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend... Yet, because of his imprudence or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, how do we approach this persistence, this imprudence? I think there's two ways to go about this. I think the traditional way, the way that I had always been taught, is that it's all about our persistence. That because of how many times we petition, our persistence in prayers, we will be heard and we will be answered. That our nagging, almost, is what will answer our prayers. But I think there's two problems with this view. First, I think it makes God and prayer kind of arbitrary, as if God was up in heaven saying, well, you know, he only prayed about this 16 times, and 17 times really would have shown a lot of persistence and imprudence i think the second result of it is that it heaps guilt on us that if god doesn't answer our prayers that i mean let's face it everyone always feels guilty about prayer as it is because we know we don't pray enough don't pray long enough frequent enough and if this is the case all it does is it just heaps more and more guilt on us about how we view our own prayer life but there's another option here that most scholars talk to Um, My wife continually criticizes me about my use of pronouns because they're ambiguous. And here we see Jesus using a pronoun that itself isn't ambiguous. Yet because of his imprudence or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Is his persistence, his imprudence, the person asking? Or is it the person in bed? Another way that we could translate this persistence is also shamelessness. So in this version, the person sleeping gets out of bed and provides for his friend, maybe because he's not playing the friend card very well, but because he wants to avoid the shame of breaking this law of hospitality. He wants to be shameless, so he will do it because it is right. And I think when Jesus, at the very end in verse 13, When he uses his, how much more will the Heavenly Father? I think this is what he's talking about. That is, if this lazy, good-for-nothing neighbor, this begrudging friend that we all have, will do it because it is right to avoid being shamed, how much more will the Lord answer our prayer when we knock? I think our confidence in praying and in approaching the throne room of God of being on our knees, does not lie in our ability to get it right that is knocking enough times to be heard. But rather, our confidence comes from the knowledge of the one who will answer because of his commitment in what he has promised. We stand on the promises of what God has promised us what God does and we see those promises here in verses 9 and 10 and I tell you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receive and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened these are amazing promises and if these are the promises that God gives us why don't we pray One of my professors in seminary uh, said the reason non-believers don't pray is because they're afraid God will answer their prayers. And then they'll have to start being obedient and know him. He said the problem with Christians is the reason we don't pray is because we're afraid God won't answer our prayers. But God gives us these promises. The Lord Jesus gives us these promises. We need to stand on these promises when we go to him and trust him. He is good enough. He is faithful enough. He is able enough. And what guarantees these promises? Well, Christ himself. We stand on these promises because of Christ. In Hebrews there's two passages that talk about Christ praying. One talking about him praying during his incarnation. The other one talking about him praying even as he has ascended. In Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 10, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him. And he was heard because of his reverence. Though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then he flushes this out a little bit more in Hebrews 7, verses 24-25, when it says, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our praying is tied to the prayers of our Savior The prayers he prayed during his incarnation. The prayers he is now praying in his ascension. Our praying is based on this gospel. That these promises are good and true because they go back to the first promise in the garden. The reason our prayers are so damaged, so broken, so misguided, so misdirected is because of sin. And this sin is a relational disconnect between us and God and even within ourselves. That we know these promises are true because of God's persistence in reconciling us to himself. That he persisted enough to condescend from eternal glory and perfect communion with the Father. To identify with us by taking on human flesh. To die for our sins and reconcile us to God so that we could address him in a personal way as Father. It is because of the work of the Son... That we have the privilege and opportunity to address him as Father. And that we know that Jesus is our friend. Not a begrudging friend who is a little bit ticked to get a text message or call at midnight. But a friend who is anxious to hear us. Anxious to hear our prayers. And that we know these promises are true. Because Christ continues in his persistence for us. That even today as we read in Hebrews, he is praying for you how overwhelming is that the creator God redeeming God sustaining God is the interceding prayer and the interceding God that he prays for you that he loves you that he even takes our misguided misdirected selfish prayers and consecrates them to the Father so that they are heard and accepted. And I think that looking at this, looking at the work of Christ, looking at how we could pray in confidence the Lord's Prayer, we see the nature of the prayer, that there's a response for us. The first one is that we desire to pray, truly desire, long for, it, want to. It's an amazing thing when you take something that the Christian should do, like prayer, and you start viewing it not as an obligation, not as a duty, but a desire. It frees us up from the guilt and makes us want to spend more time on our knees, makes us want to pray more and experience that intimate communion, that we meet our Lord Savior even in the middle of prayer. And secondly, That we have confidence in prayer. That we go to the Father. We go to Jesus, our friend. We ask. We seek. And we knock. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you boldly in Christ's name because you tell us to. That you listen to us. That you accept our prayers, not because of anything that we have done to earn, but because of your son, Jesus, and what he has done to redeem us, to reconcile us, and even how he perfects our most imperfect prayers. I pray, Lord, that we will cultivate a robust prayer life as a congregation, that it's not one. That is filled with guilt, but it is filled with freedom, that it is filled with desire, that it is filled with longing to commune with you in prayer. Lord, transform us by your word and by your gospel that we may be a people of prayer. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.